Welcome to St. Paul's. Great to have you with us. Whether you're spiritually searching or you're a longtime disciple of Jesus. Now, with restrictions lifted, our oldest daughter, Emma, who's uh, 19, uh, went with her friends to Trinity Bellwoods Park the other night. And after 15 months of enforced introversion, our extrovert exclaimed, Oh, mommy, it was so much fun. Outdoors, people everywhere. There was even live music. It did sound like fun. Now, growing up, I wanted to be a foreign correspondent, you know, working uh, for CNN from war-torn Iraq or sneaking into Myanmar with the BBC. And so when I first read uh, Nehemiah chapter 12, I imagined a reporter describing the scene. Good morning. This is Oren Lieberman, CNN Jerusalem, reporting on this remarkable day for this ancient city. The sun has dawned on a day of peace, not of war. The crowds are overflowing in the streets, and that sound you hear behind me in the background right now, it is not the clash of swords in battle, but actually symbols in blessing. And that's not wailing that you hear, it's the worshipping of God. I have to tell you, Anderson, in all my years as a journalist, I've never seen a day like this. It's a day of great sacrifice and great joy. Nehemiah 12, verse 43. The people of Jerusalem offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. A day of great sacrifice and great joy. Clearly, Trinity Bellwoods had nothing on Jerusalem that day. Why were they so joyful? What were they sacrificing? And how can that drive us forward? during what is hopefully our last COVID summer. Well, let's uh, remind ourselves quickly of the context. It's about 500 years before the life of Jesus and the Jewish people have returned from exile in ancient Persia to their homeland of Israel. And under the energetic leadership of Nehemiah, they've rebuilt the physical walls around the city in warp speed, 52 days, and emotions are running high. They're now safer uh, from physical attack, and the rebuilt walls are a visible reminder of God's covenant faithfulness to never leave them. And a big celebration is clearly in order. What would you include? Probably a ribbon cutting with appropriate selfie opportunities? Tours of the new facilities for the honored guests? Surely an unveiling of a plaque for the biggest donors nibbles and champagne on the front lawn. Well, a, a comprehensive review inspection seems to have been at least part of the festivities that day. They assembled two great choirs. And though the choirs didn't just walk around the walls, they actually climbed on top of them to sing. And you can kind of imagine the rest of the people below looking up and marveling at how something so sturdy could have possibly been built so quickly. But that's when things get surprising. Nehemiah should have given a rousing speech, thanking people for their hard work. And we might have expected him uh, to lead uh, the people in three cheers for Persian King Artaxerxes, who had allowed the project to go forward and had actually bankrolled much of it. And couldn't a committee have at least gotten together to make a, a presentation to Nehemiah? 
who would project manage this from soup to nuts like a gold watch? At least a gift certificate? Of course, none of that happened. Instead, the people of Jerusalem celebrated the dedication of the completed wall with great sacrifices and lots of singing with, with great joy. What was the joy about? What did they sacrifice and how can it drive us forward this summer? What was the joy about? Well, on the surface, obviously, the joy was about the fact that the walls were rebuilt and they were now a lot physically safer. Everyone is double vaccinated. But on a deeper level, the joy was because God had been faithful to them, despite generation after generation of sinful, painful, and destructive behavior, both as individuals, but also as a, as a nation, as a people. And Karen told us a few weeks ago how they had had a day of national confession because they knew they knew that they had brought that exile in Persia on themselves. No heads in the sand here. But God had hung in with them and had not abandoned them to their own devices. God had brought them back to their homeland. Not because they deserved it, mind you, but because of the character of God. Because of God's grace. Because God is a gracious God. That's why they were joyful. Because God is a God of grace. Grace. The word's everywhere. People might say grace before a meal. We're grateful for someone's kindness. A, a composer uh, will make grace notes in their score. A, a mortgage company might give you uh, a grace period. All these uses hint at its meaning. Grace is something free, something extra, something life-giving. We also see this from the opposite, right? Premier Doug Ford may fall from grace. We insult a person by calling them an ingrate, right? A person without grace or your persona non grata. You're no longer a welcome. And the Bible uses the word grace in a, in a quite specific way to refer to God's unmerited favor. Grace is God's forgiveness and new life given to people who have not earned it. Grace, God's unmerited favor. Or if you put it another way, grace is love with truth. Think about this. Love without truth, well, it's just sentimentality, right? It's either about a situation or a particular person, and it, it just simply affirms our view of someone or something but keeps us in intellectual denial about flaws or problems. But then if you have truth, but you don't have any love, well, that's just harshness. It may give us information, but it does it in a way that's often hard for us to hear or for it to have any positive impact on our lives. God's grace, however, shown to us in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is marked on the one hand by a, a radical truthfulness about who we really are, moving us beyond superficiality. The Israelites knew, they knew about their sinfulness. And on the other hand, we have radical, unconditional commitment to us, an authentic love. The walls were rebuilt. God was faithful. 
writer Gordon MacDonald said this, The world can do almost anything as well or as better than the church. You need not be a Christian to build houses, feed the hungry, or heal the sick. There's only one thing the world cannot do. It cannot offer grace. The people rejoiced that day in Jerusalem because the rebuilding of the wall was a visible reminder of the character of God, of God's grace. And this experience of God's grace not only led them to burst out into glorious singing, great joy, it then propelled them into great sacrifice. Now, the Jewish religion at this moment in history made a particular provision for the sacrifice of animals as a way of thanking God for God's blessings, but also as a way to deal with their, their sense of sinfulness. You would confess, you, you'd put your hands on the animal, uh, you'd confess your sins, and your sins would transfer to the animal, and then you would sacrifice it. And we, we don't have time this morning to unpack further the why and the how of this system of uh, animal sacrifice in the temple. But what we can say is that those earliest Christians, who of course were Jewish, uh, they realized that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus meant that such sacrifices were no longer necessary. Jesus himself was the sacrifice for sin. Done. And so the writer of the letter to the Hebrews explains what this means for us. Hebrews 13, verse 15. Through Jesus, then, let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that confess his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. A great sacrifice of praise and service. That's what we're being called to, praise and service. That's what God's grace can be a driver for. And that praise of God, that outpouring of gratitude to God, will certainly include lots of joyful singing. This building was made for music and singing, and we can't wait for that first Sing Again Sunday at St. Paul's. It's going to be so good. But alongside this is a call to sacrifice so we can do good and share what we have. This is hinted at in verse 44. On that day, men were appointed over the chambers for the stores of the contributions, the first fruits and tithes, to gather into them the portions required by the law. So after the animal sacrifices, the people brought their first fruits. Remember, this was an agrarian society, and uh, giving God the first products of the harvest uh, was a statement of trusting God that God would continue to care for what they needed. And then they brought their tithes, which literally means 10%. And giving 10% of their income specifically to the work of God was a way for them to do good and to share what they have. This is a sacrifice that is pleasing to God. It's what the writer to the Hebrews tells us. And this opportunity to... Uh, offer the same great sacrifice, it's open to us today. Maybe you're, you're searching and you're wondering, what could a life of gratitude look like? 
or you've been a disciple of Jesus for a long time. And for some of you, giving uh, 10% of your income to God's work, it is uh, either work at St. Paul's or uh, somewhere else, it's impossible. You will not be able to put food on the table for your children. I know that. While others of us in the St. Paul's community, 10% is just beginning to be a challenge. Tithes are generally given throughout the year, and many of you do that through pre-authorized giving. Thank you so much. Uh, because it shows a, a dedicated sense of gratitude and obedience as you receive your income. And then a first fruits offering is typically an annual gift uh, to the church on top of the tithe, uh, done at harvest time. Uh, perhaps you got a bonus at work or uh, you received a, a larger than expected tax refund or you saved 15% on your car insurance. All of those are opportunities to uh, give back to God in gratitude and to do good, to offer your great sacrifice of service and praise. 2,500 years ago, our CNN Jerusalem reporter witnessed the dedication of the newly rebuilt wall around the city, a day in his words of great joy and great sacrifice. And their exuberant joy was because of God's grace so lavishly bestowed on them, and it propelled them into lives of praise and service. How can that same grace be a driver for us uh, this summer? Well, in a, in a Christian community that is centered on God's grace, a place like St. Paul's, a high priority is placed on authenticity and truthfulness about one's failings and sufferings. Because we know, we know we can't be good or moral enough to earn God's love and forgiveness. And I have to tell you, it's incredibly personally freeing. And it is the only thing that gives us any ground to stand on, to confront the evils of the world found in our city and the country, evils that start right in my heart and yours. As Tyler talked about last week, with the death of 215 children on church property. Alongside being truth tellers, God's grace enables us to be a community filled with laughter and gratitude. We may not be able to sing yet when we uh, begin to regather in August, but friends, we can laugh. Laughter because knowledge of God's unmerited favor gives us plenty to laugh at, starting with our own fears and failings. And gratitude because we know how costly God's grace is. Forgiveness is never free. It is never cheap. It's incredibly hard to forgive. If you've ever spoken to someone who's had to forgive something really serious, really painful, they'll always tell you, well, they'll very frequently tell you, it's like a kind of death. In the movie, The Last Emperor, the young child anointed as the final emperor of China lives a magical life of of luxury with a thousand eunuch servants at his command. What happens when you do wrong? His older brother asks. When I do wrong, someone else is punished, 
the boy emperor replies. And to demonstrate, he kind of, he knocks over a jar and breaks it. And one of his servants is beaten. As he died on the cross, Jesus reversed that ancient, uh, that ancient pattern. The servants erred, but the king is punished. God's unmerited favor, grace is freely given to us because the giver himself bore the cost. Knowing how costly the grace of God is, that can electrify us for personal growth. It can give us such an overwhelming sense of gratitude in life, even as we pick up the pieces from our COVID summer, uh, that we will be motivated to sacrifice for others, sacrifice our financial comfort to start with. I, we just talked about tithes and first fruits, but also to sacrifice your time to serve other people. Maybe they're lonely or isolated. What an appealing kind of person to be. St. Paul's is a, a community of people spread all over the city and now thanks to technology and lots of other places too. But it's a community nonetheless that happens to have an extraordinarily beautiful building. Um, built for music and singing. But the music and singing and the beauty of this building is simply an outward expression of that great joy that comes from knowing that God is a God of grace, speaking truth and love to us at the same time. And understanding that grace, which may be new for some of you, it is an incredible driver for personal growth this summer leading not only to authenticity and laughter, but also to great sacrifice, sharing what God has given to others. We're in the last few days of June as Outreach Month. Go to our website, pick one of the six options to make a great sacrifice. Donate your time to Young Street Mission. Sign up for the pre-authorized giving to financially support God's work at St. Paul's or Give a first fruits offering of gratitude to ministry at All Saints Sherburn Street. Sacrificing in the spirit of joy this summer. Because the God of grace knows absolutely everything about us, warts and all, and yet still utterly delights in you. Thanks be to God. Amen.